Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Happy Times and Places, which is a positively inclined Doctor Who commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, get a special guest to choose an episode of Doctor Who and nominate their favourite things about it, and I have to guess what those favourite things are. Hi, Toby. It's uh, Thanks for having me on. Uh, for the multitudes out there who don't know me, my name's Jeremy Raddick, and I played Gareth in the Doctor Who TV movie, and for the past 25 years... Uh, I've been uh, shamelessly exploiting that to get me into exciting predicaments like this. Um, and now it's, you know, it's brought me here uh, to my basement uh, to talk to you about Inferno. Well, Project Inferno is dead. Long live Project Inferno, because eagle-eyed viewers will have noticed that the world ended in Doctor Who last week. Unfortunately, it was a world that was slightly different from ours, so it doesn't really matter that everyone in it is dead. Um, but that concept aside, I've been back and I've checked the scores. Jeremy Raddick, my special guest actor from Doctor Who, the TV movie, and plenty more since, um, who's also been doing lots of other interesting things, which we'll hear about at the end of this podcast. Is on four points, and I am on two points uh, because I have chosen what he has chosen uh, twice out of six occasions. But this being the final episode, we get two goes. We get to choose one thing about this episode and another bonus favorite thing overall. And so, if I get both of the things this time around, we tie, which for me in this podcast series is a victory so there's something to hold out for eh um i mean the chances of me doing it i think are fairly slim but let's have come on let's have a bash uh so i am going to press select on episode seven of inferno in three two one now <laughs> i mean i won't tell you how first of all it didn't select then when it did it seemed to take forever so i'm very sorry for those of you trying to sync up uh, but that's part of the that's part of the fun uh so this is the this is the climax of course of john pertwee's first season the climax of season seven of which i am a massive massive fan it seemed to me to match more with how i imagined the John Pertwee era would be from having read the Target books, which so much of it wasn't. It was a, it was a bit more colourful. It was a bit less gritty than my mind had conjured from from reading about it. And that I think was a conscious decision from from Barry Letts. You know, the next story is 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 colourful and zingier and funkier, um, and probably the right decision because uh, uh, and whilst my taste then and certain and now is is is. Uh, is is more towards the gritty sort of stuff uh you know doctor who is not for uh 40 uh, how old am i 47 year old men who were self-loathing uh youngsters um and of course the the rest of the poetry era is is much loved and charming and comforting and jolly but i and i'm also a great fan of quatermass so um you know, this seems to me to have all the, the the best elements of those. And Pertwee fits it like a glove. I mean, he's uh, his hair is not very bouffant. Um, 
but he but he does this uh the, the dramatic stuff so well and of course he spends he's, he's 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 only just made it out of the alternative world so that's the last we see of of greg and petra uh, and and elizabeth uh, they're dead they've been swept away by lava uh, very convincing uh, decent convincing enough model shot of lava um And um, isn't it, isn't it amazing, actually, what a difference it makes just having Petra with her hair down and in a flowery dress uh, compared to the the sort of buttoned-up scientist gear she had and, and her hair up. Um, and, uh, and, of course, he's... Uh, I, I bet he's got some high karate or old spice on as, uh, as uh, Greg Sutton uh, with his flashy cravat. Uh <laughs> yeah do but do listen to my uh i think it's in episode three of uh too much information my podcast going through every episode of doctor in order facts just the facts ma'am uh, and the biography of derek newark that i've done which uh which makes for you know a sad read in many ways he had a he had a tricky life and he drank too much uh and uh it's a you know i i i think i always imagined life as an actor was full of just being in bars and being marvelous uh and that was you know part of the attraction as well and uh you know i didn't it, it wasn't just the i love i love this what he did they do with the camera and the drowning out with the sound uh and and the sort of the you know, the being taken over by alien and touching behind your ear and, and the being a bit of a funny noise is a bit of a cliche. And you only have to do it slightly differently. He doesn't touch the back of his ear. There is a noise. Um, and, and it works. And I think that's a really effective thing. And, and obviously the sound is not only just blocking out what he can actually hear within the drama, but also it's 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 like the, the primal urges are blocking out you know his engagement with the human world it's it's really clever shorthand and it's and it's dramatic and it's effective and it every second counts i there's there was a <laughs> there was a quiz show um with michael barrymore called every second counts and, and unfortunately it's, it's a bit like when uh helen worth says jim will fix it in uh, colony in space i'm sure somebody can go through doctor who and uh uh, uh and and uh, 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 and do a compilation of quiz shows mentioned in Doctor Who. Every second counts. Uh, Jim will fix it's not a quiz show. Other television shows. Um, I'm sure this countdown is said quite a lot. Two hearts. Um, so was it? Yeah, so I, I, I imagine I, I didn't just want to be an actor and to be a performer um, to do the work, which I do very much love. But I, I just imagine that was the life of, you know, you know, Flick, flicking a scarf and reading books and going to bars and hearing just hearing wonderful stories about other actors falling over uh, <laughs> but of course the the reason a lot of actors hang out in bars is because well because of the work hours you know everybody finishes work very late and uh, you know wants to let their hair down uh, and you get you get flexi hours if you work in the theater get away with a lot um uh or in television, um, and there was a BBC bar at this time, of course. Um, 
and a lot of actors are very shy in real life so uh, need the lubrication in order to facilitate the socializing uh, and and you know in in the short term it's great and in the long term it's terrible and you know he was only 65 when he died Derek Newark uh, and you know I know people who are actors who are still going strong at 95 so if, you know that's 30 years they've lived that uh, he didn't have because uh, I mean he did he drank himself to death unfortunately um, and it also you know impacted on his career latterly as well his his sort of his time ran out which I think is is desperately sad he's got a real attack he's got a real energy about him and he's got a likability about him that's what that's what how i think he really works is that despite the tough guy stuff and actually just despite the 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 sort of blokey stuff that he tries to do that actually is a bit naff his is um greg with the ladies and i think it's you know i think it's sort of supposed to be a bit or um despite all of that he's got a likability a sort of vulnerable likability about him um but from having you know read about him he you know he he plastered on fronts in real life and they probably hit a hit a you know a real life vulnerability that he covered with bravado and booze um and it's not sustainable poor old Derek Newark but I love him in this um I love all the performances in this but I I don't know why his his is the sort and i think it's because he's the sort of genuine because what a lot of heroes in doctor are, are, are quite sort of um aren't quite so earthy i think and quite so sort of prosaic and down to earth and, and and gutsy and 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 perhaps of that again slightly more that you know he has more in common with people in sort of perhaps more adult shows and genres which which again this this finds its basis in me as a as a kid who was, you know, worried about Doctor Who being taken seriously, and that sort of that sort of approach helps Doctor Who to be taken seriously. Um, I love the fact that Doctor Who solves the problem by basically being asleep, but but letting key points out. Uh, and this is a, this is a sort of thing. Could you do this in drama nowadays? It was a thing you could do. I'm thinking there's a terrible one in the Claws of Axos, isn't there? Well, Bill Filer's going must not distribute and and there's nobody in the room so it doesn't serve the plot at all because nobody overhearing going my god they must not distribute axonite he, he's he's talking to nobody there's nobody there it's basically it's there because they they want a scene for some reason because at least this is important because they hear what the doctor's saying so they can impart th the information um but could you have a thing now where, you know where excuse me you know where you have certain dramatic tropes that we took for granted then that you wouldn't do now and i i do think one of them is having somebody asleep saying stuff that's important that that they then relate to, to other people that's the other thing you can do is is because he's of that breed of sort of 60s angry young men actors he's actually really good at shouting at urgent shouting which again um which not everyone can do because it has to be contained within the television as well. So it's not the same as sort of theatrical declamatoriness. Um, it's from a slightly different school and I like it. And he's good at it. Pertwee has a great face. So yeah, we're at the end of 
Pert was first year of a show that was hanging in the balance. It's an amazing metamorphosis of what Doc 2 was. I love the Troughton era. I love the war games. Um, I think season six struggles a bit. Just to, you know, I think it could be condensed everywhere a little bit. Um, but, oh yes, and Petra. Petra comes good in the end. Just quietly goes, nope, it's me. Um, but the metamorphosis from what that show was at the end of the Trout era to what John Pertwee's, what John Pertwee did, and and it rejuvenated and regenerated the the series that was in a pretty parlous state. Um, it's interesting with the war games. I mean, the, the you know the Radio Times coverage disappears to nothing, really. The viewing figures aren't great. Uh, and then it comes back. We come back with Spearhead, which is all on film. So the the difference between the War Games ten and Spearhead one is, I mean, it's not just color. It's the fact that it's color and on film. So we get an accident there that because it, it has to be on film, um, and then we get these where the money saved by being on Earth and these seven episodes mean that you get you get really good looking productions. But then you've got a comedian. You've got John Pertwee, who's not really done dramatic television acting at all uh and and you know he was a comic turn on the radio and, and he did you know comedy type stuff on when he was in films largely um which if you think about it is an extraordinary achievement for him and it hadn't really occurred to me till i interviewed sue upton who was a uh, production assistant on doctor and the silurians who essentially said that this was his first sort of serious performance in an electronic studio because of course spearhead had all been on on film and it and it pretty much was um so and and, it, and that he was a bit nervous and when he was nervous he could he could be a bit sort of testy uh we but i think that all sorts sort of works because he's on sort of high alert which means he's got this natural dandy thing i mean he pulls off his outfits so well and and larry turner is right there's, there's nobody that could, I mean, he's even got a chain round his neck there. There's nobody that could do velvet jacket, Freddie Chert, and a chain round your neck and not look like a bit of a burke. And yet Pertwee doesn't. It fits him like a glove. And he looks magnificent. And he looks like Doctor Who. <laughs> Yay, Christopher Benjamin's still alive. Keith Gold is still alive. Um <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> Nicky's going, oh, I think it's brilliant that you're not dead. He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm quite pleased as well. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> I do love that. Uh, and of course, so, so Sir Keith, Sir Keith is, is back. So it's not just the Doctor, but Sir Keith coming back really helps with the situation because Sir Keith doesn't die. Um I wonder if they could have been braver and actually had Sir Keith die, but he's so nice. You don't want him to, do you? Um, free will is not an illusion after all. Yes. Yeah, this is really nice. And I think Pertwee... And I don't think I've ever given Pertwee enough, enough credit. I've always thought he's great. And he and he's and he's got uh, he's got he's quite throaty in this as well. You really felt I don't know if that's an accident if he just had a cold or whatever. But but his his vocalizing it, it does does seem he does seem like he spent the past three weeks in in, uh, in on a burning world. Uh, 
and I love the fact that it, you know, it's so urgent for him that 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 he hasn't really got time to say, look, can I just explain this to you? He's just like, get out of my way, or I'll smash this to bits. And 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 that could seem silly that oh he hasn't sat down and explained it to them but he's seen a world end uh and it's a desperate situation for him and i i i buy that i think that totally works so actually what makes the situation worse the doctor's reaction is not the doctor just reacting stupidly in order to expedite this next bit of the plot it actually works perfectly within within the thing uh uh, I, I like the way that, yeah, Stolman just goes, yep, no, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, and actually, because Sir Keith's quite timid, Petra's quite timid, there's a few people that learn to stand up for themselves, which I rather like. As somebody that inwardly is rather timid myself. And I think, you know, for the viewer, it's... Uh, I think Sheila Dunn's doing a really good job in this episode. Um, you know, the look that she's got in her eye as if to say, I I I'm a bit worried about you. And and Poole is doing this stuff very well, which which is awkward. There's Keith, Keith Ashley. Uh, I th yeah, I think I think uh, Poole does a great job of Stolman there. Um, and that sort of acting can be difficult. You know the the I'm I'm being taken control of. Now it's interesting because the alternative world Stallman had everybody in there with him and he infected them, whereas this one has has sent people out. And I wonder if that's a slight nod to the fact that even though he's doing what he's doing, he can't bring himself. He's too he's he's a bit nicer this one because he won't kill the other people. There's Derek Martin and Terry Walsh being knocked out there, and I spoke to Derek on the phone couple of days ago there's Derek Charlie Slater from EastEnders 88 uh, he told me his doctor says he's going to live to 100 which I do hope so because Derek is one of the nicest men you could meet why am I talking about an extra because uh, he went on to have a great career uh, law and order brilliant uh, uh, piece of uh, television which uh, is available on not law and order the Dick Wolf or the the Chris Chibnall uh, things much later this was this was showed the dark side and it cast a lot of non-professional actors or stuntmen uh in the in the lead parts uh gf newman uh, uh and was was sort of improvised and uh, and very naturalistic and and derek didn't know he was going to be the star of it he thought he was just one of many but actually he was very much the 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 the, the, the star of it as this very corrupt copper um uh, which was quite a groundbreaking thing to be showing in the late 70s. Um, and uh, and didn't look back and has had a great career as an actor, having started as a as an extra and a stuntman. And uh, so I rang Derek to chat about Roy Scammell, who, as we know, has passed away very recently. Uh, and Derek said he thought Roy was one of the best. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, Derek. One nice guy. Um, and it's lovely seeing him pop up in various various bits of Doctor Who's. And he said he just had a, that. That actually, there's a photo of him and Terry Walsh being being knocked out by Pertwee with the Venusian Aikido, and he'd just been sent a load of those 
to sign. Um, now, interesting, when Stallman, oh, who is now on film, uh, oh, so not all of the side bits of the drills are, are models, because there was a bit there. Um, uh, when Stallman covers himself in the green, you see when Harry Slocum does it in episode one, when he touches it, uh, it burns and you get uh, a spoosh of uh, uh, smoke, you know, it's singed. And that, to me, is a sort of Douglas Canfield touch. Oh, well, if it burns, we need a bit of smoke, a little bit of extra work, a little bit of a special effect. So, so I always think it's a slight compromise when we don't have Canfield in episode seven and, and, and there's no burning, as it were, when, when Stallman touches the green stuff. Uh, I mean, it would be difficult to do it with the face, but... So maybe it wouldn't have happened even if Canfield had still been at the helm. But uh, again, I sort of, I think of it, I, I think of that as, as, as not as good as when Slocum does it in episode one. Uh, so Starman's, Starman dead and that must, that's, oh, we'll have Pooley in the makeup again. Um. Uh, and I remember my brother walking in on this one um, and saying that he thought that the episode was a bit of a damp squib because they build up over a seven-part. I remember him doing the same with Ambassadors of Death as well. Was I always watching that? I don't know if I... And I did sometimes strategically place episodes for my brothers to walk in on so that they could... I've told you this before. But, but, I, but, but and I... And I certainly think I have felt in the past that... Uh, the climaxes of the Pertwee Seven Parties are perhaps n not as quite as good as what b they build up to because, particularly in the case of Inferno, we actually have the end of the world. And I think I always had that, you know, received wisdom that this was not as good as it could have been because Douglas Camfield had said so and because, uh, you know, and I, but I think it meant that one started to see things that perhaps weren't true. Like the fact that they wouldn't have had smoke coming out of Stallman's face. But they might have had it when he touched the green stuff. But I don't know. Um, and I, but I do like the fact that it stops at minus 30 seconds and not at one. But actually, the reason it stops at one normally in dramatic moments is because one is much more exciting than 30. So whilst I sort of go, oh, well done. Yeah, they didn't go for the cliche. It, it does mean that... There's no real climax as such, is there? I mean, Stallman just comes out and gets shot, really. Uh, and then there's, yeah, then there's that extra bit where, where Greg and the Doctor have to stop the countdown and they stop it at 30. But of course, the real climax to the story is the cliffhanger the week before. And I think, I don't know, probably what we'd have now is is you'd have... You'd, you'd have that final bit that the Doctor and Greg do. So, you know, somebody would have to go into somewhere hot and perhaps somebody would have had to sacrifice their life. Uh, th th there'd have been an added moment of peril and sacrifice, I think, in order in order for this to be a bit more bells and whistles than it actually is. But I don't mind. I don't mind because we, we have the whole thing. Uh, and th there are plenty of beautiful moments in this. Um, I, I worried that this would be, this would be a little bit, as I say, a bit of a tricky damp squib. But uh, I've I've enjoyed this episode very much. I think there's enough. I like the characters standing up to Storm and 
and, and you know getting getting the backbone uh there's the, there's some funny bits this is this is jolly pertwee is really good even though he spends half the episode asleep john pertwee uh becomes the doctor so quickly and he's so good at it and i like this this gutsy early version the uh, uh, buffon level one um <laughs> uh, and and this yes he's going to do the testy thing <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and of course but of course there's a sort of real steel band that as well because he's actually seen a terrible version of the brigadier and he's, he's you know i think and the mind of evil is more explicit about this that what happened to him in the world of the alternative world of inferno i think really affects him even if it's just because job put was got a cold this week it you know i i think you really do buy that what whatever happened to him there has sort of scarred him and that slightly scarred you know his conduct towards the brigadier who let's face it as a military man does have the capabilities within him to do terrible things and in another world enjoys doing those terrible things which is you know which is a a frightening thing but it, it 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 talks of you know would you have made the trains run on time if you were told to well you probably would have done um uh and which is why i i am very cautious about a lot of today's younger social commentators who who yell at the past you go don't cast yourself the hero of a film you're not in because you're not saying uh you know if you'd worked at the bbc in the late 1970s would you have said no we must not cast a Caucasian actor as Lee Sen Chang. I don't think you would have done. And I think it's disingenuous to say that that's the case. Um, uh, so, you know, circumstance. We, are, we, are, we must be grateful for the circumstances we find ourselves in because who knows what we might do are circumstances different. And I think this story, you know, throws up that very starkly and very very interestingly but on top of that it's doctor who is disaster movie uh and it's doctor who as mirror universe episode uh and on top of that it's season seven gritty exciting hardware heavy uh plausible you know we're going to be as realistic as possible within the confines of what we do who it's cracking inferno i love you you set me on fire um uh so i've got to choose two things and hope that jeremy radick chooses both of them and you know what? i know what they're going to be uh, the one for this particular episode is john pertwee's observation that free will is not an illusion after all and i mean i, th I think it ties in i mean jeremy's already chosen john pertwee's performance uh, in a previous episode but 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 also you know yeah put 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 interesting because i sort of got it in my head that oh put was just asleep in that episode he's really good in that episode and what the doctor gets to do is 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 really important and and i so buy the fact that he's he's come from last week's episode do you know what i mean i think that that the way that lays heavy on him and I, but i think that that musing that he has and the and and the observation <laughs> and the joke about it being wonderful news that sir keith isn't dead um yeah so free will is not an illusion after all but generally the whole 
the whole Doctor Pertwee vibe um, as he's emerging from, from the other world. And my thing for the whole story is the sound, is the that ever-present, particularly in the alternative world, but the, 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 the ever-present drilling, but then the distant explosions and the shaking of the world outside, the, the you know, the, the oncoming apocalypse, but also those primordial screams, the primal, you know, tinnitus, tinnitus from the dawn of time that uh, Stallman has. The soundscape, I think, is is really impressive. And as I say, besides the music of Doctor Who, which is very important to it, I think the sound in a lot of uh, the special sound, the sound in Doctor Who is is often underestimated and under discussed. And it's not a, a medium I can be particularly eloquent about, because I'm, I'm it's not it's not my area. But uh, that doesn't mean I don't acknowledge it and appreciate it. There's no way Jeremy's going to have chosen those. Well, certainly not. Well, no. Let's see. Whoa. Well, hey, it's Jeremy. Uh, I am back from oh. that terrifying sojourn, real harrowing experience in that duplicate world. Whew, I was luckily, I was able to figure out how to stop the drilling and contain the gases. And I told the, the scientist drilling in my backyard to knock it off. And I think we've successfully averted disaster uh but whew, what an experience um I'm, i just whew, i don't I, I don't even know what to say um so final episode of inferno um you know i think probably my favorite moment is is the line that john pertwee says about free will not being an illusion after all um you know it's a wonderful moment uh for dr it's kind of magical um, it's a moment that John Pertwee's really good at delivering. Um, it's heartfelt and it's, um, those moments of charm that he always talked about. And that's a real moment of charm. And, um, I just think it's so, um, it makes it kind of have a, a, a little more heft and it kind of lightens <clears throat> everything that's happened, uh, that's been on the whole rather, um, you know, just sort of engrossing and tense and and in some ways it could be bleak but you know the fact that he you know fails to save this world and comes back and and finds that you know fate and destiny aren't set in stone that that the actions of people have meaning and that those actions you know aren't part of some cosmic design that that people have agency and that their choices matter and it's it's a it's a wonderful thing it's a it's a sophisticated point for the show to make and so that's my my favorite moment of the episode so now what is my favorite what's my last kind of favorite thing about the overall story it's just inferno to me occupies a really singular place um i love season seven of doctor who i think it's like what I call the shoulder seasons, those moments where production teams overlap and, you know, an outgoing production team kind of sticks an incoming production team with a series of plans that maybe that incoming production team doesn't want to do. Um, and, you know, that's definitely the case here that season seven was, was planned and commissioned and, you know, Barry Lett's producer and Terrence Sticks, the script editor, kind of didn't like what they were stuck with, but they were stuck with it. And, you know, 
over time, over the course of that season, it becomes this melange of, of kind of opposing artistic viewpoints. And season seven is sort of, you know, over time grows more towards what the show would become. Everything becomes a little more cozy, a little warmer, um, a little more, a little less kind of, uh, you know, um, clean and, and sophisticated, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. I think that, you know, it starts to remember that it's a show for the whole family. And, and whereas something like, you know, Ambassadors of Death, for instance, which I love, uh, you know, there's not necessarily a ton in there for the littles, you know, to hide around, but this one's got werewolves. So um, you really feel like there's this great kind of collaboration going on of a, a concept that the current production team doesn't love, but they're making the best with. They're, they're, you know, even the seven story or seven episode stories that they're stuck with, which I'm sure they hated because it's so long, you know, in this particular story in Inferno because Don, Don Houghton didn't have the parallel world storyline and Terrence Dix kind of put it in there in order to stretch out the episodes. It's just a necessity being the mother of invention and delivering this thing that, you know, fits in so perfectly. It's like a little capsule of what season eight and season nine and really the rest of the unit era is going to be and the sort of earlier, more sophisticated, more challenging, you know, sort of slightly more adult, um, series that this this season started out being so that's kind of my favorite thing it's one of the reasons why i love inferno so much is it, it really kind of has a singular feel to it it doesn't feel like anything else um and yeah and so that's that's it oh well uh we'll see my folks uh interesting yeah okay well five three to jeremy but i'm glad the free will went uh yeah but I'm I'm glad I chose the sound because I actually nearly chose the sound in episode one. Uh, but it seems appropriate to have it because it stretches over the whole thing. Uh, and and at least I'm not choosing an actor. And I could have chosen pretty much any one of those actors. But I think particularly um, Pooley and Newark, uh, uh, well, and Nick Courtney, um, um, and John Pertwee. Um, I think those four are magnificent. Uh, but I think it's 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 you know strong across the board um and yeah i i i do uh, yes the, the 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 fact that it isn't it interesting that some of doctor who's finest moments are when people are saddled with something they don't particularly want to be doing uh or or, or that they don't think are particularly good um uh I seem to recall with robots of death you know they, nobody was particularly happy with the script and the script is excellent uh, so works really hard to go against what they thought were its cliches or shortcomings or whatever. And, you know, Brain of Morbius was always seen as a, a compromise. It's not what we wanted to do. And, and then became, you know, so quite quite often, uh, uh, yeah, Do Doctor Who is uh, necessity being the mother of invention when you're making something you don't like. Um, but I love season seven. But it's, it's when he said about Ambassadors of Death, which I love uh, and, and had always been sort of talked of as being this you know this one of the one of the weaker Pertwee stories because uh uh it never quite hung together that actually as it turns out was 
was largely a productions team's point of view. And when I first watched it, I was, wow, hang on, this is supposed to be the Duff one. And it was one of the last stories I watched as a result of that. I wasn't particularly bothered about getting it. And I think it's fantastic. Uh, and a friend of mine, who's one of the first people who agreed to do this, who chose Ambassadors of Death, and then loads of other friends of mine chose. And I said, you can't do it. It's somebody else doing it. He still hasn't sent me <laughs> the video, but he's, I know he's doing it. I know he's doing it. Um, but that will have to wait a while because uh, I'll have to put a gap between this and it. But what essentially what got me thinking when he mentioned ambassadors, and and I guess a, a bit like about some of the things that one enjoys about this, is because it exists in the whole pantheon of Doctor Who. And I wonder if at the time I'd watched Ambassadors of Death with its lack of monsters and with its seven episode length and all of that, and the fact that it was only one of four stories that year, if I'd have been sweating and going, oh, but hang on, what if the general public don't like this? What if my parents, you know, um, this is going to be the end of Doctor Who, if I'd have liked it as much as the fact that when I viewed Ambassadors of Death, Doctor, it was it's whether it was good or not had no impact on the future of Doctor Who because it was in my past, uh, and and so I wonder if that's why I have to have a certain amount of distance between episodes and and actually relaxing and enjoying them for what they are, not for what they represent to the future of Doctor Who and to the outside world. Um, so I think the message there is one should get a grip and not worry. Uh, uh, about things um uh and and uh, you know what might happen because what might happen you know that might just happen in an alternative universe and this one will be fine um but i do like inferno i, th I think it's a classic i thank jeremy so much for going to town and uh, I'm sorry in the audio version of this you can't see his eye patch and his moustache uh, sorry not his uh, platoon underleader Radix from when we uh, had the sojourn into the alternative to warp two uh, uh, of, uh, of Radic world um, so I hope you enjoyed uh, Inferno I worried episode 7 would be a damp squib and it, it wasn't at all it's a it's a true classic of Doctor Who I don't think there's much wrong with it I would have I would have hailed I would have gone, you know, if, you know, if I just had a lazy sort of off the top of my head about Inferno, I'd have gone, yeah, it's great, but the monsters are a bit crap. But actually, I think the monsters are fine. Occasionally, their teeth are a bit obvious that they're wearing false teeth. And, and it's a risky look, the old uh, long hair, long beard look. But but actually, it's consistent with werewolfery. Uh, or it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all the rage in Lycanthroville. Uh, um... And actually, on on the quality that I'm watching, and on the size of screen that I'm watching, I I was very, pretty happy with them. Um, so yeah, one of Doctor Who's all-time greats, I would say. Some of the best cliffhangers uh, the series has ever done. The alternative world is a stroke of genius and is brilliantly uh, brilliantly carried off. Uh, so my thanks to Jeremy, who I'm going to let see out the episode by plugging his thangs. Uh, you will join me for another one of these, uh, or you can just jump sideways to an alternative dimension where I watch, spend seven episodes watching Doc 2 and slagging it off whilst wearing an eye patch and then shooting everybody at the end. Uh, but uh, if you haven't got the means to get there, uh, just uh, stay with me now as we uh, listen to what Jeremy Raddick uh, from the Doctor Who TV movie. Uh, presumably he answered the right questions in exams uh, and is doing what he's doing now, which you're going to find out about. Um, so 
you also suggested that I do some plugs, so I'm going to do some plugs. If you're interested in following me on Twitter, um, my handle is at Jeremy Raddick, uh, and uh, that's where you're going to find news about anything that I'm doing, which isn't you know terribly much right now. I, I'm not acting anymore. This is the first acting in this long series of sketches that I've done in some time, so I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I wasn't too terrible. Um, but I am a part-time editor of comic books. I edited uh, an image comic series called Rose, uh, which if you go to the uh, image comics website, I'm sure you could order some trades or you, it's available also wherever digital comics are sold. Comicsology. it was written by Meredith Finch and with art by Iguara. And, um, it's a terrific fantasy series if you love it. So I recommend you going there and I was really proud to edit that. And I've also edited, uh, another original graphic novel, uh, for writer Meredith Finch, this time with artist Colin Dwyer called The Book of Ruth, which is a, uh, adaptation of the Bible's Book of Ruth, uh, but set in, uh, Depression era United States. Uh, and it's a really, uh, interesting project. Um, if that sort of interests you, then head on over to, uh, cavepicturespublishing.com and, uh, and order that. Uh, it's a beautiful book with terrific artwork and, um, an inspiring message. I was really proud to work on it and, uh, uh any further projects you can, you can catch up with by following me on Twitter. Uh, so thanks so much for joining me and, and having me on, on this show. Uh, Toby, it was a real pleasure. Um, and, uh, I hope you enjoyed, uh, listening to this nonsense as much as I did making it and, uh, yeah. And, uh, talk to you soon. All right. Oh, um, well, uh, I said I'd leave it to him, but uh, I've kept the cameras and the, the mic running. So thanks to Jeremy. Uh, go and check out his things and uh, we'll see you some other time. Ta-ta. Thanks so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Jeremy Raddick, who I'm very grateful to. We've never met. He's been in Doctor Who. I'm honoured by his presence and he went above and beyond the call of duty. He can be found on Twitter at Jeremy Raddick. I would also like to thank patrons who make these podcasts possible. They include Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, Will Brooks, Peter Burns, Richard Byatt, Alex Kafajoglu, Paul Carnahan, Paul Carrington, Andy Case, Richard Chalk, John Curley, Mark Dakin, Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones, Andrew Jordan, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, Gavin McLean, Dave Matthewman, John McClay, Rossa McPhillips, Stuart Mitchell, and Nathan Moore. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates, and the artwork has been done by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to join the list of patrons, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. The tiers start from as little as £3 a month, uh, although you get a 10% discount off that if you do a whole year in advance, and you get access to early releases and exclusive material and various other bits and bobs of goodies. Uh, if you can't do that, there's a coffee option or Kofi ko-fi ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where you can do a one-off payment if you think I deserve one occasionally. But I know that times are tough uh, and there's been a real squeeze and not everybody uh, can afford to, to contribute and I totally understand that. 
I am more than grateful to you just for listening. However, if you would like to show your appreciation, you could go to your podcast outlet and give this a five-star review and perhaps a couple of nice lines as well, uh, because that really helps to uh, get the message out there about these things. And you don't want to be part of an exclusive club, do you? Oh, you probably do. All right, but... I need the affirmation. I'm very needy. I need my algorithms looking as tip-top as possible because it can be quite embarrassing when you parade them and they look a bit shabby. So unshab my algorithms with those five stars of those lovely words. Thank you so much. You can follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. These podcasts have their own feed at Haydoke Podcasts. I've also got a blog at www.tobyhaydoke.com where I have a mailing list too. And I do live comedy in Manchester at Excess Malarkey every Tuesday and that has a monthly online show on twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey on the first Sunday of every month from August 2021 because we've been online during the pandemic but... uh, We're back to business now. The club's been running 24 years and it's me and usually three or four acts from the international comedy circuit and is definitely worth your time. Unless you don't like things like that, in which case it's not.